Welcome to the Gateway Scottsdale audio podcast. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv. Now, let's tune in for this week's message. Nine weeks we've been going in this Grace series, and all of it, I told you at the beginning, it is really one sermon with 10 points. And the whole series, all nine weeks so far, has been pushing to this one weekend. And for the last nine weeks, we've been talking about the grace of God. But the question isn't, is God gracious to us? Because for nine straight weeks, we've been learning God is unbelievably gracious towards us. The real question is, are you gracious? And that's the title of this weekend's message, Are You Gracious? The word gracious means someone who loves to extend grace to others. Does that describe you? We know God is gracious, but if I polled everyone in your life, would they all say that you are gracious? Now, Luke chapter 15, some of you already know there are some really important stories in Luke chapter 15. We have three main parables. We know the one of the hundred sheep, the one that goes missing. We know the parable of the woman who had 10 coins and loses one. And then there is the oh-so-famous story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. And we're going to be talking about the prodigal. But before we get into that, I want us to kind of really notice the context of this chapter. Jesus goes to great lengths to describe to us that in all three of these parables, the person that was looking for what was lost did something when they found what they were looking for. They rejoiced, all right? That's important to note. Every person who was looking for something, once they found it, they rejoiced. Now, remember, we talked about this earlier in the series. Many people would say, what's the first thing that you do when you find something? Well, the real answer is you stop looking for it. But here's what you need to remember, especially related to God's grace, because there are so many believers still looking for God's grace. Here's the thing. You've got to understand that I could boil this whole series down into this one sentence right here. Let me just say it this way. If you're a believer in Jesus, you already have the unmerited favor of God. You can stop looking. And if you don't stop looking, you're never going to rejoice what you've got. So Jesus goes to great lengths to let us know, hey, everybody rejoiced when they found what they were looking for. My prayer during this 10-week series is that no matter how long you've been walking with God, that you found something at an even deeper level related to God's grace and love towards you. Now, in these three stories, everybody celebrates it, but here's the problem with legalism. Legalism robs us of the right to celebrate what we've already been given because legalism convinces us we have to keep working and working and working for it until we get it. So we never get to rejoice it. So legalism robs us from rejoicing, from receiving God's grace. Now, in these three stories, there, there, there's a theme. And the question we have to ask is, why did Jesus tell these three stories in Luke 15? Well, the first, uh, sorry, the first uh, of the two verses say this. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus 
teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Okay, so here's the context. Before Jesus tells the three stories in Luke 15, we see who's around. So he's got a lot of sinners, but he's also got the Pharisees who are really frustrated with him because he has the audacity to spend time with the lost. Now think about this. The only person in all of humanity who ever fulfilled the law completely spent the bulk of his time with people who did not. Now that's irony right there. The only person who lived a sinless life was constantly surrounding himself with sinners. And I'll give you a thought that really will blow your mind. They actually liked being around him. He did not repulse them. He never had a holier-than-thou attitude towards them. So I want to ask you a question. Do sinners like being around you? Or do they run away from you? Because they feel really badly about what they've done when they're in your presence. Think about this. The only people who ever felt uncomfortable around Jesus were the religious ones. I really believe this is one of God's great desires for us as believers. That the lost would love to be around us and the religious would be miserable around us. That sums up the goal of my life right there. I want lost people to love to be around me. One of my favorite things to do on this earth is to mess with lost people. The minute they find out that I'm a pastor, they're confused. I like that. I like that they have this stereotype in their minds, and once they find out what I do for a living, they go, wait a minute, you're not like what I would have imagined you to be like. That's right. And maybe God isn't what you have imagined him to be like either. I love it. I love to be around lost people who, who are, are just trying to figure us out. They're not repulsed by us. They actually love being around us. Do lost people love being around you? Obviously, the lost people in Jesus' day hated to be around the Pharisees because they made them feel worse. Philip Yancey starts his book on grace with a story of a mom who prostitutes her two-year-old little girl. And someone trying to help this mother said, why don't you go to church as a part of this, trying to get everything on track process? And, and the mother said, why would I do that? I already feel bad enough about what I've done. Why would I go somewhere where they're going to make me feel worse about what I've done? Okay, listen to me closely. That's not what church is supposed to be like. I know it's hard to wrap your mind around that. But instead of judging it, my hope and prayer, and I believe God's hope for you as well, is that your first instinct wouldn't be to judge the person, but it would be to love on them, to extend grace to them. And when you understand how much grace has been extended to you, it gets a lot easier to extend grace to others. Jesus was telling these stories because the Pharisees were so bothered with him about how much time he spent with the lost. Luke chapter 7, verse 34. The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks. And you say, Jesus is saying this, all right? 
and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. Mark chapter 2, verse 15. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Now, Jesus says, he says, go and figure this out. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Go and figure this saying out. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Here's another way to say that. He's speaking directly to the Pharisees. I would rather give this to you as a gift than you spend your whole life trying to earn something as though I owed you something in the form of a payment for your behavior. I'd rather just give it to you as a gift. That's the heart of the father. Think about this. If you had a child, let's say you had a 10-year-old child, and they, they grabbed your car keys one day and got into your car, turned it on, and put it in reverse and drove right through your garage door, crashed the car, ruined the door. You come outside, you see, okay, I'll, I'll cut you some slack. You're probably not immediately going to extend grace in that moment. But what if your 10-year-old child felt so badly about what they had done that immediately they kicked into a gear and they go from having never, ever cleaned up their room ever in their lifetime to now every day you come home from work and they are cleaning up the entire house. This child's never mopped once. Now the child's mopping twice a week. Now, at first, you might be tempted to go, this is awesome. Until you watch your child perform those duties. And the countenance of the child is of heaviness and shame and embarrassment and guilt. And what they're trying to do is make up for their awful mistake. Is that the kind of relationship you think God wants to have with you? No, that's why Jesus says, I don't want sacrifice. I'd rather have mercy. I, I want to give it to you. I don't want you to spend all your time trying to earn something, trying to prove that you're worthy of my love. I just want to give it to you. Now, in Luke chapter 15, I, I want to read 21 straight verses of the Bible. Now, for some of you, your spiritual ADD is going to kick in. <laughs> so I want you to be strong, okay? Just hang in there with me because we're going to read the entire story of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. I hope it's okay to read the Bible. Verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. 
The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here, I'm dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Sweet kid, that older brother. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always been with me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. What a story. And remember, this story isn't just a story Jesus tells about a hypothetical father and his two boys. This is a story that reflects God as father and his heart towards his sons and daughters. Now, in the story of the prodigal, there are three main characters, the father, the older brother, and the younger brother. But there are four main attitudes that we see in this story. And I want us to break down these four attitudes in the story of the prodigal son. Here's the first attitude, the attitude of the rebellious. The attitude of the rebellious, verse 12. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Sounds like a millennial, doesn't it? <laughs> Too soon, millennials? <laughs> Just so you know, if you're a millennial, like it or not, that's kind of the book on your generation, and you can change that. Everyone says that you're the most entitled generation that's ever set foot on this planet. Change, change everyone's opinion of your generation. But think about this. Don't get mad at me. Just, just tell me if this doesn't sound like your friends. Of course, if you're a millennial, it doesn't sound like you. It's your friends, this sounds like. Think about this. It wasn't even his inheritance yet. His father was still alive. There's another way to say it. It was his father's retirement. 
and this spoiled brat of a child goes to his dad while his dad's still alive and says, I want my share of my inheritance, a.k.a. you've been calling it your retirement for years now, but it's my inheritance. I want it, and I want it now. Have you ever noticed when you feel like someone owes something to you, you're usually not that grateful for it? If you want to know the attitude of the rebellious, it's ingratitude. Before your child could ever become rebellious, they first have to become ungrateful. That's where it starts. There's another way to say it. The first step towards rebellion is ingratitude. But a, but a spirit of grace says, no one owes me a thing. In fact, if, they mo if I'm owed anything, I'm owed to hell. So anything I get is gravy. But when you expect everything, you're never going to be grateful for it. This was the problem. This is rebellion. It starts with ingratitude. Have you ever heard this statement? Well, if God's going to forgive me, I'm just going to do it anyways. Have you ever heard somebody say that before? Well, God's just going to forgive me anyway, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I want you to think about this. Verse 13 says that the prodigal, after he got the money, a couple days later, he left. This was not some shotgun plan to live in sin. He had been devising this plan. He was ready to roll. The only thing he needed was money. Now, listen to me closely. If you're the type of person that says, well, if God's going to forgive me, I'm just going to do it anyways. You have not gotten a full revelation of God's grace. It's too sweet. It's too good. And think about this. Of course, the inheritance came free to the youngest son. But it cost his father almost everything. That's the same way it is with grace and God. We have to be careful not to become ungrateful for the grace of God because even though it came freely to us, it cost the father his one and only begotten son. And when you remember that you have a heavenly father who loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. Here's what will happen when you really get a revelation of that. You don't ever want to leave the house. You don't ever want to rebel against that kind of father. When you see the grace of God, and when you become grateful for it, you talk about having fun in the family. That's what grace will do to you. Here's the second attitude we see in this story. The attitude of the repentant. The attitude of the repentant. Verse 18. The prodigal says, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. This is the attitude of the repentant. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. And here's what's amazing about God and his grace. We come to God when we repent and say, God, I'm no longer worthy. And he says, it's okay. We say, I'm no longer worthy to even be your servant. And God says, it's okay. Come be my son. Come be my daughter. Come be family with me. I know you don't feel you deserve it. But listen, I paid a lot for you. And I want to be with you. And nothing's going to keep me away from you, even if you feel 
you're not worthy of what I've done. In the story of the prodigal, we see the heart of a gracious father and a grateful son. This is the epiphany the prodigal had. Think about this. This is what real relationship, this is when it really looks best. When you have a gracious person and a grateful person. You want to have an awesome marriage? Make sure that you are married to a gracious or grateful person and make sure you are a gracious or grateful person. Here's why. Because a gracious person will always be grateful and a grateful person will always be gracious. It's the marriage of your dreams. It's going to cost you more than you can wrap your mind around because when he or she messes up, you're going to have to be gracious. But you know what the best part about being gracious with the people you love is? When you mess up, It's good to receive grace right back, isn't it? This is the attitude. I'm not worthy. I'm so sorry. And listen, as it relates to repentance, I've heard people say this about repentance. Well, it's not repentance if you do it after you get caught. First, I don't know who talks like that. Second, that's just crazy talk, okay? Yes, it is better if you repent before you get caught. But sometimes I think God gets tired of waiting on me to repent and waiting on you to repent. And he just asserts himself and orchestrates the circumstances so I repent a little bit faster. Anybody ever been in that situation? The prodigal was in that situation. I want you to see this. In verse 14, about the same time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. What a coincidence. (laughs) Who could have done that? Was it God? Is God so loving and gracious that he would orchestrate circumstances in our lives so that just like the prodigal, we would come to our senses and come back home? Yes. Oh, yeah. Don't tell me. It doesn't count if you repent after you get caught. Sometimes God makes sure you get caught so we can just skip to the repentance part and get the relationship back to where it needed to be because most of us, when we're rebelling, are not into repenting and we start creating space between us and God. God stepped in and he said, hey, I I want this boy to go back home. Famine. Let's see how long he lasts, hungry. It's not harsh. That's grace. I want him to go back. Now, having said all of that, we need to make sure we understand that repentance doesn't mean everything goes back to the way it was before we messed up. It's a very unhealthy thought process. Have you ever been in a relationship with somebody who played the I repented card to get out of the consequence of their action? But I repented. I I, I made it right. Everything should be okay now. You know, it doesn't work that way. And it sounds like in the story of the prodigal son that the prodigal goes away, loses everything, messes up, horrible living, comes back, and the father just gives him everything back that he lost. That's not what it says. The Bible says he lost everything. He was broke. I want you to think about this. For those of you who might think, well, if I repent... 
Everything is supposed to go back to being the way it was before. There's no consequence if I repent. Okay, I, I just want you to think about this. Could the prodigal son go back to the bar and say to the owner of the bar, hey, uh, you, you remember me, right? I, I was here a couple weeks ago, uh, and I, I was the one that ordered a round of drinks for the whole bar 14 times. Remember that? Yeah, I mean, you're a legend now. You're a legend. Everyone talks about you. No one's ever done that before. Yeah, see, uh, the thing is, I wasn't in a good place when I did that. And now I'm in a good place, and uh, I'm making it right. And so I have come today to give you a chance to make it right as well. I would like all of my money back. Could the prodigal go back to the pimp of the prostitutes and say, uh, hey, you, knew, you know what you do is wrong. I know what you do is wrong. I should have never done what I did. And since I know what's wrong and now I'm getting, I'm getting right, I'm getting right with God, I'm getting right with my family, I think you need to get right too. And, and I think you need to start by giving me my money back. Is that how it goes? No, no, no. Everything he spent, he lost. It's called consequence. Yes, he got a ring. Yes, he got sandals. Yes, he got a coat. Yes, he got a fattened calf. But he didn't get all that money back. There are consequences. There need to be consequences. Otherwise, there'd be nothing to keep us from doing whatever we want all the time. The prodigal didn't go back to the way things were. And we have to remember that just because God redeems that does not mean God makes everything we lost magically reappear. There are consequences that come even after we repent. Nonetheless, we see the attitude of a broken young man who comes and repents. But that leads us to the third attitude, the attitude of the reproacher. The attitude of the reproacher, big bro. And this is the one I really want to talk about. Because we're going to see within this older brother some of the things that get in the way or keep us from being gracious or extending grace to others. Look at, at verse 28. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Okay, why was the older son so bothered by the younger son? What was it that caused the older brother to be so angry with his younger brother. Well, truth be told, it's the same thing that causes the Pharisees to be so frustrated with those who don't live up to their standard. It's also the same attitude that legalists have with others who don't live up to their standard. And here's what it really boils down to. See, the problem that the older brother had with the younger brother wasn't how the older brother saw his younger brother. The real problem was how the older brother saw himself. If you want to know 
how you treat yourself when no one's watching. Watch how you treat others. It is a mirror. And listen, if you're frustrated with someone, typically it's because there's something they're doing, you do to yourself, and you do to others, and it just doesn't sit well with you. Here's the problem. The older brother had a problem with his self, not with his younger brother. It was the way he saw himself that caused the big problem. Think about this. The older son says two things. I have never refused to do anything you asked me to do. And the second thing he says, and you never gave me even a goat. Okay, so think about what he's saying. The older brother says, I've never done anything that you didn't tell me to do. I've always done what you asked me to do, and you've never done anything nice for me. I've never done anything wrong, and you've never done anything nice. Okay, can I just tell you, especially if you're newly married, never use the word never. Because when you use the word never, it usually points to the fact that you're wrong. When you say things like, you never compliment me. Okay, if he's complimented you one time in your relationship, well, you just said it isn't true. Now, you could say, you don't compliment me enough. And if he says things like, you don't look as bad as you did yesterday, <laughs> send him to counseling. We can help. <laughs> I'll sit down with him, okay? But don't say, you never compliment me, because it's not a true statement, all right? Here's another statement we make that's not true. I always, isn't it funny how we typically say, you never and I always, huh? That's not grace. That's just total lies, okay? I always, I'm always the first one to apologize. You know that's not true. Yet, isn't it funny what the prodigal son's brother does in this story? I don't think we really pick up on it. I mean, you, you can disprove both of the things that the older brother says. Think about this. The first thing he says is, I've never done anything against you. I've done everything you've asked me to do. I've never refused you one time. Okay, question. Why was, were the father and the oldest son having a conversation in the first place? Let me take you back. Let me just make sure you see this. Verse 28. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. Please come in. I'm not coming in. And furthermore, I've never refused to do anything you asked me to do. <laughs> what? I've never refused to do anything you asked me to do. But I'm not going in. Please come in. No, I'm not coming in. I'm trying to tell you. I always do what you ask me to do. <laughs> Isn't it funny how easy it is to see the sin of others and how hard it is to see our own sin he couldn't see it that was his problem his problem wasn't with his brother his problem was how he saw himself but also how he saw the father the second thing he says is you never even gave me a goat now that's a show up right there you if you don't know his brother got a fattened calf. He's saying, you didn't even give me a goat, okay? I want you to think about this. 
Watch it in Scripture. Verse 12. Because I didn't catch this the first time I read this story years ago. Verse 12. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. They both got it. They both got it. And here's what's really crazy. Because the oldest brother was the firstborn, he got a double portion. You didn't get no goat. What? (laughs) What are you talking about? But isn't that how it happens? See, the older brother's problem wasn't with his brother. It was with how he saw himself and how he saw his father. He felt like his father was showing favoritism to his brother. That's not fair. Okay, remember, this story shows us what God is like. God did show favoritism to the whole earth, including you. Yes, God has showed favoritism, but not at your expense. He showed favoritism to us all by sending his son to die for us all. I want you to think in verse 31, the father responds to this crazy talk by the older brother. Verse 31, his father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. Remember, this story is not just about the dad and the prodigal. It's about God and us. And in this story, we see the father say, you've always been with me. That reflects the presence of God. And then the father says, and everything I have is yours. That reflects the provision of God. Two incredible benefits of being in the family of God. His presence and his provision. And here's the sad part. The youngest son gave up on the presence and the provision but figured out, had an epiphany with the pigs and said, you know what, I thought the money was gonna be the best part about relationship with my father, but I've learned since I've lost it all that the best part of living in my father's house was not his provision, it was his daily presence. The sad part is the older brother didn't give up those things, but he did take them for granted. That's why he said to his father, you've never given me anything. And his father had given him a double portion. Here's the fourth attitude. And it's the the first three we see in the boys. This last one we're going to see in the father. Point number four, the attitude of the redeemer. The attitude of the redeemer, verse 20. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion, He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. How did the father see his son when he was so far away? There's only one way. He was looking for him. Can you imagine how many people would come back to God And how many people would come to God if they realized that no matter what they have done 
to mess up their lives, that the father is still sitting on the front porch watching every moment, waiting for them to come home. The father sees the prodigal from afar. He was looking for him. I think this was one of the big things that bothered the older brother. I can just hear the older brother saying in the mornings, when he's having breakfast, he sees his father out on the front porch first thing in the morning, looking afar off for the youngest son. Listen to me closely. Don't be the type of Christian that needs God to be looking for them all of the time to prove his love for you. Be the kind of Christian who fully understands that God never stops looking at you. The older brother got jealous. You don't look for me like that. Yeah, it's because you're not lost. But I don't ever stop looking at you. Listen, sometimes when, when we don't fully understand love, we make those who love us most chase us. It's a horrible way to treat the people that love us and that we love. And some of us even do it with God. I'm going to run from you. I'm going to see how far you'll come get me. I want you to prove that you love me by chasing me, looking for me. Listen, be the type of believer who fully understands God never stops looking at me. David said, and when I wake up, you're still there staring at me. The father had the heart of a redeemer. My favorite part about this story the prodigal son, is that you have the son out on his own, broke, practicing his speech. He's trying to find the perfect words to come back and repent to his father. So he's crafting this speech, and you know it starts off poorly. I'm just going to say to him, Father, I have sinned, and it's not good. No, no, that's not strong enough. It needs to be more dramatic. Okay, okay. Father, I have sinned against heaven. Okay, that's, that's good and dramatic. He'll get that I really feel bad about what I've done. And I've, I've sinned against you. And I'm not worthy of being your son. So please take me on as a servant. He gets his speech crafted perfectly. And my favorite part of the story is he comes home, and if you really read it closely, the son gives the speech that he practiced. And he gets to the part where he says, I'm not even worthy to be your son. And the father jumps in and says, quick, go get a great coat. Go get some sandals. Go get a ring. Go get the fattened calf. The father breaks in. And here's how I think the speech really went. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm not worthy to be even called your son. <laughs> And the father says, stop. Long before you started practicing your I'm so sorry speech, I was crafting my welcome home speech. And if you're here tonight and you'd say, I have messed up my life. I used to walk with God. I love God, but I messed everything up. And I'm just far from him. And I want to come back. Listen to me closely. Stop trying to perfect your speech. He's got his welcome home speech, and he wants you to hear it. No matter what you've done, and listen to me closely. As believers in Jesus, God has called us to make others feel 
the way the father made the prodigal feel. I'm accepted. I'm loved. And no matter how badly I've screwed things up, it's going to be okay. Because I have a father who loves me. I've been waiting three months to ask you one question. And the question is not, has God been gracious to you? Because I already know the answer to that question. The question I cannot answer, but I would love to know the answer, is are you gracious? You have been called not just to be a receiver of grace. God has also called you to be a giver, an extender of grace. Are you gracious? Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Gateway Church, please visit our website at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv.